Well, good evening, all you scary, spooky folks out there, and welcome to another episode of one of our annual segments here on Fandom Talk, and that is Horror Fest. Um, I am one of your hosts, Al, also known as Red Lanyard, on socials and on the Discord. I'm here with um, Josh Hardesty, also known as the Wise Sage, um, in the Internet Scape. Um, Josh, how are you this fine evening? You know, I'm 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 doing okay. Uh, ready to talk about uh, some some horror movies. Uh, you know, trying struggling with the fall cold as we've been discussing, but but I'm here. I'm ready to ready to go. Again, and we are here. We are ready to talk about yet another entry into our yearly discussion of horror films. What are they? What do they do? Are they good? Are they not? <laughs> All kinds of things. But, um, um, yeah, y'all, um, every year, Josh and I, uh, we just really enjoy kind of getting together. Uh, we watch a bunch of horror movies. Um, and then we talk about them uh, from his perspective as kind of like a a fringe, kind of kind of skeptical guy about the horror genre. Um, and then from me, from my perspective, as somebody um, who loves horror, uh, even the... Um, um, horror things that are a more questionable quality. Um, I still enjoy it. So uh, that always leads to some fun discussions. So we're glad you're here with us to um, enjoy it with us. Um, now, before we get into this episode, which if you have clicked on this episode on Spotify or Apple or however you get um, on your podcast episodes, then you know that we are uh, going to be talking about um, a film that I really, really enjoy um josh um at least partially enjoys called uh behind the mask the rise of leslie vernon from uh, 2006 but before we jump right into that i did want to um have some fun with yet another question from family correspondence discord server uh because we do have a discord if you're interested you can go and follow us um um think on twitch you can like uh toss us a dollar or something on patreon or whatever uh um, if you want to, but that grants you access to uh, the Discord server. We get into a lot of discussions about like um, games and comic books and films and anime, just like all all kinds of things that we all enjoy. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And one of the things we got from it were a couple questions um, from um, our boys in uh, the Discord server about things to discuss for Horror Fest uh, specifically. So uh, this one comes from our boy Johnny. Um, if anybody's interested in some really awesome artwork, uh, that, uh, that be sure to hit up Johnny. Um, he is excellent, but, um, um, so our friend Johnny Orville asks us, um, honestly offers, um, more of a prompt than um, a question, but that's fine. Um, honestly, if you give Josh and I us like an action word, I'm sure he and I can t talk about things for 18 hours. But yeah, um, be a problem. <laughs> but um, yeah, the prompt that Johnny offers us um, for Horror Fest this time around is just kind of to discuss the rise of pagan and folk horror, uh, specifically in indie films. Um, so for anybody who doesn't know of folk horror. Um, it's one of my favorite subgenres of horror. Um, I think it's gone kind of underused um, in years past, with a few exceptions. But uh, we are seeing kind of a rise 
in that subgenre in uh, the last few years. Um, Josh, you pointed it out in on the discussion on Discord. A lot of that rise can be pointed back to um, the film The Witch uh, from 2015, if I'm correct on that. Yeah, that's about right. Um, um, and I agree. Just uh, the whole basis of horror stories that are founded within um, folklore, within um, these cultural and subcultural ideas of what is um, scary, of things that are out there. It can deal with just uh, pagan things within the world. It can deal with um, religious ideas. You can deal with all kinds of things. Uh, but, but basically, the horror is coming from some kind of foundational um, entity or a belief from the native or adopted culture um, is a whole kind of idea. Um, so using the witch as an example, that whole horror comes from um, these uh, religious ideas from that time era about witchcraft and just kind of the dangers of uh, the new kind of unchristian world, if you will, and how uh, religious belief can kind of be uh, woven into that as well. So, um, so um, yeah, all that to say, I'm a big fan of folk horror. I think folk horror is one of those subgenres where uh, the lines are kind of hard to draw at times on what's really folk horror, what is more just kind of like psychological horror, just kind of presented in a period piece, um, if that makes sense. Um, but if it's done well, um, I'm a huge fan because I've always thought that um, there's a reason why the the beliefs and the different cultures across humanity, across history, have always had something within them to be afraid of. Um, a lot of times they're uh, various flavors of the same thing. Sometimes they're very unique to that uh, culture or people group. But I think that taking on that kind of Jungian kind of approach to, um, you know, there's always something to be afraid of. Let's explore it from our past or or kind of across different cultures um, is a really interesting idea and allows for a lot of really cool things that you can do. Um, Josh, what are your thoughts about uh, this kind of flavor of folk horror, horror kind of based in um, specific cultures or beliefs, and how do you think it's been handled um, in film the last few years? Um, I'm, you know, like the the few I've seen, I've enjoyed uh, pretty much all of them. Um, the The thing I like about most of the folk horror is kind of the focus on um, family interactions. It seems mm -hmm. like that happens a lot. And the other thing I like about folk horror um, that is I, I mean, it's almost necessary to have this is this idea of messing with something you don't really understand. Mm. Um, and so like the, 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 the idea of, you know, you know, like I, I think probably, I mean, probably our first folk horror and we're going to bring this up, I think later, cause I'm going to talk about probably our first, our first folk horror movie, or at least the one that like really crosses over. Um, definitely not the first. I don't know why I said that, but the one that definitely crosses over to the mainstream and really brings it into shape is probably Blair Witch Project, right? Mm, I mean, the sure. point of that is 
you know, these kids don't really know what they're doing. You know, they, they don't, they don't respect what's in the woods and the, you know, and whatever's in the woods, you know, has to rise to that occasion. And so like that, that kind of arrogance I like in, in horror movies, um, because it's, uh, there's a pretty simple moral to take from that, you know. Um, you know, I, I have, I, you know, I, I'm a, uh, you know, I, we we've discussed before. You know, I, I've got a background in theology, and I try to, you know, give respect to uh, religions as as they as they deserve, you know, and then try not to to you know, because some of these religions have been around for thousands of years. Some of those last for thousands of years deserves respect, no matter what how crazy you think it is. Um, you know, and so, so some of these like real pagan ideologies and pagan beliefs, you know, um, even if they are, uh, you know, completely, uh, diametrically opposed to like some of my own beliefs, uh, there's, there's a reason to respect that because, you know, there was this, these, these things were thought out. What I love about the horror movies is like, you know, they always end up, or folk horror movies always end up with, you know, this, this idea typically, I mean, in a lot of ways, typically of like really unassuming white people, you know, just walking into these situations and, you know, and coming at it from a Western background and not understanding, uh, what, what they're getting into and, uh, and not understanding that there are things that are older than them, um, that deserve respect. Um, because I mean, that, that's typically all of them. I mean, I, I, I don't want to talk too much about this movie because one, I know you hate it, and two, I actually want to do it at some point in in Horror Fest. But I mean, that, that's basically the that's that's the driving. I mean, not the only moral, but that's the driving aspect of Midsummer. Is you know you've got these six, five or six kids that show up, and you know three of them are trying to, uh, well two, three of them are trying to uh, exploit for a good paper. Uh, in the world of academia, you know, and sure, then you know, of one of them is going through grief and like, and it's just like, they don't know what they're walking into. They have no clue. And, uh, you know, that, that idea, uh, I, I, I think there's a lot, there's a lot to mine from that. And, uh, I, I wonder if we're going to get, you know, I, I kind of expected more after midsummer and we really haven't got that many, um, after midsummer that I can think of. I mean, there's probably stuff that's under mm-hmm. my radar. That you probably know of. Yeah, it's been. Um, I think Johnny is exactly correct, and like it has very much been um, entered on the indie scene. Um, um, I know Antlers came out last year. That was kind of an interesting approach to um, folk horror. Um, um, some other things have come out as well, but um, yeah, it's it's really interesting. I. If I had to offer up kind of a social context to that kind of like rise um, in folk horror over the last few years, I think it's kind of interesting to see if there's any parallel between that and kind of the the increase and improvement of just kind of um, our social awareness of colonization, um, kind of the retrospective evils of colonization that we've seen um to me i think there's some grounds there to, to believe that it kind of goes hand in hand with these um the shift towards kind of embracing the um, kind of the presence and the importance 
of these foundational kind of cultural uh, beliefs we find folklore and starting to tell more stories um, about that. Um, I would kind of offer that as a possible uh, kind of social explanation or, or kind of context there as to how we've seen a lot more of those stories that come up. But um, yeah, and like, um, and then on the, the Discord channel, we've talked a bit about uh, various examples. There's um, there's um, Apostle, there's the Ritual, um, which I thought was very good. That's what um, I've actually seen and I loved. I thought the Ritual was great. Yeah, yeah, it's excellent. It's excellent. So uh, I'm definitely to shout that one out. One that I do want to plug that I feel like hasn't had a lot of exposure, even though I thought it was really good. Um, it's this film called Oceans. Um, I believe it came out in 2019, I want to say. But um, Oceans um, is a very interesting take on how kind of that um, that um, how an African culture i don't recall exactly which specific one i do apologize for that but um how an african culture kind of views the idea of spirits and the coasts of people who have died and how they kind of um view those phenomenon in a very different way that we're kind of accustomed to thinking about ghosts and spirits and the supernatural um and it was just really well done uh just a really good story about like um, loss and experiencing and processing grief and things like that from a very cool and very interesting and very um important uh, perspective that you don't really see a lot of um especially in horror so um i do want to plug that one um it's called oceans i do believe it's from 2019 i think but um it's great if you have time you should watch that one as well well um but yeah, but that does kind of bring us to um, our film we're talking about at hand tonight, because um, in a lot of ways, it's kind of an exploration, um, arguably kind of a deconstruction of what has really become kind of a modern version of new folklore, of new um, horror mythology. Um, and that is our film uh, Behind the Master Eyes of Leslie Vernon. Um, for anyone who doesn't know what this film is, um, it, um, if you're the type to uh, go ahead and hang out with us and listen to our episodes without experiencing uh, the project we're talking about, um, first, thank you very much. That's very cool because we do not make it easy, I would imagine, to just kind of <laughs> to, to kind of follow along with. But um, but second of all, this is one I really do want to encourage you uh, to check out. Um, I will say at the very front, um, the powers that be that control the streaming services, um, that hundred-headed Hydra, I don't really understand. Um, they have not made it easy on us to watch Behind the Mask. Um, um, I think I complained about it the other day to you, Josh, and to everybody in the group chat. But like, I have like six different streaming services I use, and somehow Behind the Mask was not um, on any of them for free, and I almost tore my hair out <laughs> when I discovered that. It's completely, it's completely ridiculous. 
But um, if you're interested in watching it, um, I do encourage you to take your library, check like your second hand stores and give them some love. But um, if you can't find a physical copy of it, it is available to rent for like $3, I think, on Amazon Prime. Um, I encourage you to not give $3 to Amazon if you can, but um, if you have to. Um, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You got to do what you got to do. But um, yeah, so um, so Behind the Mask, Rise of Leslie Vernon, um, 2006. Um, this film essentially um, is it's kind of an interesting one to talk about because it's kind of impossible to talk about this without talking about all the things that have kind of inspired it, right? It's a film, it's technically a slasher film, but um, rather than kind of following the formula or following the tropes that slasher films have, exper have experienced and have established up to this point in 2006, it really kind of breaks them down and asks the simple question of, you know, you have all of these slashers, what if within that world, within this shared universe where all of these stories, all of these um, slasher villains are, are real and are true, what if you take some time to tell the story from the perspective of the bad guy? And so you have this setup where these uh, grad students are kind of developing a documentary about this guy who is hoping to become the next big slasher. Um, and uh, they follow him around, they do interviews with him, interviews with people in his life, and they follow him around as, they, as he builds up towards the, towards the big night, where he commits his crimes, he finds his survivor girl, um, things like that. So um, this is a film that is really, it's chock full of references and nods and Easter eggs to uh, various slasher franchises, various things that have been established in horror. Um, so, um, uh, Josh, out of all of these things, as far as just like this cinematography at times, um, the cast, which is like full of huge horror actors, but just not in the roles you might expect them to be, um, in terms of the story being told, what kind of things kind of stood out um, to you when you were watching this, as far as, uh, this film being kind of, an homage and an experimentation with what the slasher genre has become. Yeah. So uh, the the movie itself, um, I, like I said, I, I like the movie. I don't think I love the movie, but I like it. Um, one of the issues that I, I do have with the movie is I think the documentary aspect could have easily just been gotten rid of altogether. Um, and I think it would have been, would have been a stronger movie in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, because a lot of the issues I have with this movie is in the camera work that A, is distracting, and B, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, because So, for example, when Zelda Rubenstein's character is killed, who is, who, is, who is filming that? You know, like Zelda Rubenstein being in the library, and I'm sorry, because I didn't want to talk about her, because that's amazing. I, I, I was amazed here in this movie. <laughs> this, is her, this is her last movie before she passed away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, before she... Yeah, exactly. Uh, but before, you know, to her. but um, when she's when she's killed, like I don't know who's filming that. There's no, and so like it, it's weird 
Um, because that's a very effective scene. It works. It does exactly, you know, what it's supposed to do in, in introducing, uh, mm-hmm. and of course, introducing Ahab, uh, our, our, our man, Dr. Halloran. Oh, yeah. uh, it's just a fantastic name that I am amazed John Carpenter didn't just go oh, seriously, dude. You know, but like, uh, uh, but um, but anyway, just uh, stuff like that is it was kind of distracting to me. Uh, like I said, the camera work is is different. Uh, it seems uh, uneven at times. <clears throat> seems to take away sometimes from the from the story they're trying to tell. The mm-hmm. best things I liked about the movie, Al, in all honesty, was the the breakdowns of you know why they're doing it uh the discussion of how they're going to do it uh why such certain things have to happen sure. um the the my favorite probably my favorite moment outside of all stuff with eugene who i think is the most interesting character in the movie should have been about him but mm. um but I, my favorite moment is when they're talking about they're getting they're set up for the last for the for the last hurrah, so to speak, you know the grand finale, and he's taking him, he's taking her through, uh, the reporter through, um, you know, like what he's going to be doing, and you know, and like there's this random moment because the reporter's, you know, I mean she's kind of, I mean she's kind of stupid, I think I don't know that's the best way to describe her, I think, and like there's a point where like he says something to the effect of like you know the you know, why don't you ever reach into the closet? And he's like, the closet's like the womb. You know, it's like, is this this place where you're safe and also where you're innocent? You know, and then like, he's like, he's he's using, uh, like, he, he's like, you know, uh, at this point, this will be the moment where she decides she wants revenge. And if she wants that, that'll please me more than anything. And, she, and so she's going to take one of the hard weapons, you know, and he discusses all this phallic imagery in there. And like, it's all incredibly silly and every bit of it, in my opinion, 100% true. Um, mm-hmm. Because we've discussed, we've discussed before on these like slasher movies, this weird interplay that slasher movies have with sex and how they're both, uh, how they're both um, extremely, exploitative sometimes of sex and at the same time also very like judgmental of the act as well and like that and i mean that was i mean that was an interesting way to put it once again total craziness i i I don't i don't you know like i but but at the same time like you know it's as good a reason as we've ever been given you know for why for why these things are like that you know like there's even that scene where like uh it's it's you know where where like they just zoom in on the on the girl's breasts and like the 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 over uh you know over the over the audio over it is her going is this a bit like exploitative and he's like hey just just let it go you know <laughs> and like that was i mean I, every 80s slasher had that scene okay like every one of them all of them had that scene um you know that was that was part of the i, I guess part of the appeal and so, uh, you know, just to have this to have that moment, I thought was kind of funny. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that to me, th- those parts were the most effective parts mm-hmm. of just what he's, the, you know, discussing with a really kind of, to your point, deconstructing horror movies and trying to figure out. It's weird because they're trying to figure out the motive both inside the movie, but they're also trying to explain a motive you know, in the in the meta, so to speak, you know, sure. like motive in for like everything. Um, that's where they're effective. Um, you know, and then like, you know, the, the, 
the kills and stuff are, you know, they are what they are, you know. Sure. But, but but that that stuff to me was was the stuff I really liked, and I thought that was the that's the those were that's the stuff that uh, stood out to me in this movie. No, sure, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Let's kind of expound upon some of the things you talked about. Um, yeah, as far as the as far as the camera work, um, this is like I've watched this a lot. Um, I used to have it um, on. DVD. I don't have it anymore. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm I lost it or whatever happened to it. But um, um, I've watched this a lot. Um, but um, it has been a few years since the last time, and so I did know beforehand that the camera work um, does change throughout the film. So it opens up um, as typical films do like the camera work is just kind of like um it's being shot as if it's just like <laughs> presenting a film um and then it moves into the style of you know um kind of the found footage type thing you know um i'm a documentary is being shot so um the camera is very um all over the place it's very shaky cam um, throughout a lot of the Film and then occasionally it will switch back to that more traditional camera view to shoot scenes kind of from the um, intended victim's point of view. Um, and it'll shoot a couple of things from there and then go back to um, like the found footage type of cinematography again. And I think what the intention there, I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to. <coughs> excuse me i'm sorry uh, they're trying to kind of establish a line and create more of a division uh between the the people the students who are shooting this film who are slowly kind of aligning themselves with um with esley um and the things that he is trying to accomplish um and then on the other side you have um on the victims and I think the change in camera work is kind of set up to establish that. Um, I'm another example there is that towards the end of the film, after Taylor, on the main character, after she decides to drop the pretense of the interviews and uh, the documentary and begins to ally herself with um, the intended victims, then uh, the camera view changes for the rest of the film back to a more untraditional way because now they're the intended victims. I think that was the intent. Um, I will say I had forgotten just how hard the found footage perspective in this is to watch, and that is coming from someone who really enjoys a lot of found footage stuff. Um, um, I've always been a sucker for that uh, type of cinematography, but it is pretty rough in this. And, and this isn't an excuse because I do think it takes away from it a little bit, just being so hard to watch, um, but it is an explanation. I think why it feels so intentionally bad is because they're trying to emphasize that this is a student film that yeah. they're filming. And as somebody who went to school and knew a lot of film students <laughs> and helped them out with their projects and um, like watched a lot of their finished projects 
and things like that. I can attest that, um, yeah, you get that effect a lot whenever you're doing that kind of work. So I think there could be um, some kind of explanation there. I don't know if I'm being kind of over generous with that, but um, um, it is what it is. It is uh, what it kind of reminded me of. But um, yeah, as far as this, this film was for the longest time, it was so enjoyable to me because it really brought together um, a big part of, of what we are trying to do with this show um, is that it brought together horror and things we expect to see from horror and brought in things that we have experience with and attempt to understand in, in real life, in our lives. So um, I studied psychology for several years. Um, I have um, a graduate degree in psychology. Um, it's great. I don't really use that degree. Um, isn't the American dream dead? But um, it's yeah. <laughs> but um, it presents this thing that I've grown up with and that I know inside and out as far as these slasher films and these horror films and uh, the beats that they follow. And they kind of turn it around and they, and they ask the question, you know, um, as you said, Josh, you know, internally, why do the men who do these things in these films, why do they do what they do? Is there an internal motivation that they're aware of? Are there external forces driving them forward? Is it a combination of both? Are they just um, completely insane? What is it that drives them? And from the outside, we... Uh, um, we are kind of faced with our own reflection in a lot of ways because we see this group of grad students trying to get that project, trying to launch their careers in journalism and film making and all that. And for the majority of the film, they're perfectly fine with watching these kids be terrorized and victimized and killed. Um, just so that they can get the scoop so that their project can work and they'll be elevated by that. So it kind of turns it around on the audience and says, hey, you know, all of those, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween and Friday the 13th films where over time you kind of found yourself kind of rooting for the slasher and kind of hoping that like you know he gets his kills in and it's really cool despite all the people he's like <laughs> taking the lives away from um it kind of like holds a ear up to that because when you watch it especially after you watch it a couple of times um you're just kind of like oh like yeah Leslie Vernon is the slasher. He's the antagonist. He's the driving force of the film. However, that film crew, like, they're the bad guys. They're the ones who are actively watching this happen. They know what's going to happen, and they just kind of abide it for the longest time because they know it'll help them out. So um, it does a really good job of asking these internal questions, as you said, Josh, these internal questions, these internal issues um, as well as kind of this external debate about, you know, why we find ourselves on the side of the slashers so often in slasher films. You know, why do we get this um, this enjoyment and sometimes this obsession out of these films 
where so much of the plot kind of boils down to there's an evil man uh there's an evil man who kills because he wants to you know how do we get such obsession and pleasure out of that and i think it does a really good job of that overall um i love the part where it kind of deals with like um you know um as you said josh kind of explaining why things happen in slasher films as they do um at one point you know um Leslie vernon is kind of taking them around the house that he has kind of like rigged and set up to um kind of trap his victims and kind of facilitate the night and he's talking about how how he's nailed the windows shut um and one of i mean one of the dock crews just kind of like okay well can't they just like hit the glass um in the window and break out um and leslie vernon is just straight up like you'd think so but <laughs> but no 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 they never do <laughs> like because up to that point he's kind of had an answer to everything right like um you know i'm able to follow these kids running all over the place because you know i do like six hours of cardio every day and like i i scope out um, locations um to terrorize like um the final girl by setting up these elaborate things to scare her and stuff like that and then eventually he just gets to one where they just like well isn't this can't they just like hit the glass and break out of the window and he's just kind of like yeah but like you know what it just doesn't happen like i don't <laughs> i don't have an answer to that one man it just it just doesn't happen he's also um, and if they do it'll be the second floor and then they're screwed anyway which right. is true. which yeah exactly which is one of the things that happens after <laughs> yep. after all of the killing starts so um so um it's good stuff it's just very it's it's very cleverly done um, you can tell it's a project that was made by people who really love slasher films and at the same time they're fully aware of what slasher films are and what they have turned into um and they don't shy away from that they don't shy away from kind of the absurdity of these stories that are being told instead they um, they kind of embrace it and they say you know we can have some fun with this while still kind of showing the darker side of what these characters and what these archetypes are um so still kind of capitalizing on the darkness and the fear there we're still having fun with these tropes so i think that part of it is really really well done um, and well handled now um i do want to get into the characters though um and so we have leslie vernon who's kind of the main antagonist he's the he's the would-be um slasher who's hoping to establish himself um among the likes of Jason Voorhees and, and Michael Myers and all them. Um, Josh, what do you think of Leslie Vernon as a character? Because the more I watch this film, especially after having um, had certain experiences in my life and having been exposed to different kinds of environments in psychiatric care and mental health and things like that, um, for me, he's a character who is really interesting and is done very well. But um, I'm interested to hear your take on him as an antagonist. You know what I find interesting about Leslie Vernon? I, I was thinking about this. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about this from the uh, once again from the kind of meta standpoint, where it's like the thing about Leslie is that he's almost. He's almost the film's way of saying, or the film's way of being like, 
this is what you think slasher movies are going to turn everybody into. Um, because like, I mean, he, he is the fear, right? I mean, like, so like when the eighties, when we had all these come out and like, you know, you weren't, uh, you know, you, you were, you, you were, you were not quite here yet, but I remember those. Sure. Sure. Um, in the late eighties, early nineties, you know, it was, was only a twinkle in my father's eye. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if that, you know, um, but like, um, you know, the, the interesting thing about it was, is that the late eighties, early nineties, of course, had all the, had all this real fear of, you know, if, if your children get a hold of this kind of material, it's going to turn them into sociopath or psychopathic killers. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's the fear. Okay. Uh, and it's going to have this effect on, on children and it's going to warp their minds. And, and like, you know, we've, we've never really, we never really actually made, you know, I mean, we've made some correlations, but you've never really made some causation there. Right. And this movie's kind of saying like, you know, this is what that would look like. I think because like, cause you know, of course, one of the things that you find out that I didn't think was that big of a shocker, but like, you know, Taylor was really floored by it. But one thing you figure out is that Leslie's made all of his backstory up, like his entire, right. his whole backstory just made up. But here's the thing about it though. It's made up in a way that is emblematic of someone who is completely obsessed with Jason Mike Myers and Freddy Krueger, who are all serial killers who have been in their own mind wronged in some way. You know, I mean, Freddy's, you know, like the worst person and like everything that happened to him, you know, he deserved. But you know what I mean? Like they're all, they're yeah. all serial killers that were murdered, you know, or had some type of vengeance taken out on them or like have been wronged in some way um, or believe they have been wronged in some way. And so they have this mysterious backstory, you know. Um, that's what he wants. And so he creates this weird, like weird backstory of like growing up and like in the, you know, like in this, like uh, growing up in this like super religious home um, where he's like the, 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 the bastard child of a, of a sexual assault, you know, like all this and like, you know, he, he, you know, he kills his parents and his pa- and the town people throw him over the river, uh, throw him over a waterfall. And like, it's all this, like, just in- incredibly, um, you know, uh, just out there kind of story that works perfectly with the, the idea of a, of a, you know, slasher uh, serial killer. And so I do think there's a bit where, they're playing with that. They're saying like, this, okay, so like you, you wanted to see, you know, what this would look like. Well, here's what it would look like, you know, uh, if, if they did this, you know, like, and, and so like, yeah, cause essentially what he's, what, what he is first and foremost, what Leslie Vernon is, is he's a fan. Okay. He is someone who has bought in to this idea. Okay. Who has bought into this, this idea that the world needs this type of person. Okay. And he is a, he's a fan and he's, uh, and it, it's become his religion um, to the point where at one point, like, you know, with Leslie, I think the, the most interesting thing, of course, you know, is that uh, we find out in my opinion, he, he definitely, he, he, at the end of it, he's, he's intending for himself to die, you know, like he, like, you know, like, I mean, you know, I, I mean, we have, we have the, 
you know, this famous or the scene where he's like, you know, this this apple press. What's it for? It was for pressing apples. <laughs> you know, like, by the way, I will say this about Leslie Vernon. Like, the worst sense of humor of any person I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, but I, I had to stop. I had to stop the movie when he was like Paradise Lost. Oh, found it. And then it was like, you know, and when they're in the library, and I'm just like, God. <laughs> it was like, this, this is that Rob Zombie, Cherry Moon crap. Movie, <laughs> you know, like, it just drives me crazy. But like, uh, but like, but he his his best scene though. Is you know like he he he, exp- he explains the the cider press. He's definitely intending to die that evening, <clears throat> and like he tells Taylor, you know, when Taylor's getting ready to leave, you know, where he's like, "Hey, go on, get out of here," and he's like, "I have to do this because, you know, I have to react to the goodness of the world." Which, by the way, by the way, okay, is an explanation for evil that. Of all people, Flannery O'Connor uses in good, A Good Man is Hard to Find. That's her entire point in that, is that the evil in the world has to be there to reflect the good. Now, I'm not saying that's correct. I'm just saying, like, that's that's not a that's not a weird philosophy for for certain people. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's that explanation of that I thought made him really interesting as a character, because, like, he's someone who has bought into this this religion of serial killers, which by the way, we haven't, I we haven't really talked enough about this, but like an important part of this movie is that all these things have actually happened in this, in this world. Really? Like, you know, yeah. it starts off with, you know, they, they go to, they go to Haddonfield, <clears throat> they go to Elm street. Mm-hmm. Uh, where else do they go? Which one I'm missing. They go to the lake. Oh, uh, Crystal Lake, Crystal Lake. Uh, Cause Jason. Yeah. So I mean, they like these are things that are real moments that have happened in this world. And the other thing that's interesting about it is these are things that have happened over and over again because that that person or whatever uh, that that entity uh, that serial killer or whatever or it, they they it is a religious thing because they're elevated beyond because they are literal things that haunt these towns. They come back. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just found it interesting. No, no, it is very interesting. I agree. It, it's it's an interesting look into it. Um, I, I want to address um, a couple things that um, I know will come up to anybody who knows about this film because I can't talk about this film with hardly anybody without these things coming up. Um, so, first off, um, so a big inspiration for this film. Uh, was actually a Belgian film uh, with a very similar idea behind it um, called And Bites Dog. Um, the um, it's it's um, a Belgian film. Um, the actors within it speak French. Um, the French title of it is Say Ari Près de Chez Vous. I'm sure I did it excellent job of pronouncing those French words. Um, I just ignored half the word, which is, which is how I've learned to kind of say a lot of French. Um, but um, so it's based on that. Um, that film, Hand Bites Dog, is a very similar idea. There's a film crew kind of filming a, um, a documentary about this guy who's a serial 
Hitler in France. Uh, they follow him around. They interview him. Uh, they kind of like are are a passive direct audience to the things that he does. Um, now, Hand Bites Dog takes itself a lot more seriously than Behind the Mask does. Um, it's a very dark film. It's honestly a very sad film. I don't really enjoy <laughs> watching Hand Bites Dog <laughs> um, because it's just very sad. But um, but um, that is kind of the inspiration. And so it's coming from this... Uh, I'm convinced in my experience ha having seen sides of academia and psychiatric research and investigation and things like that. It comes from this idea that I think is very human and very real, this idea that, um, you know, if given the opportunity, um, it would be an incredible chance to study how killers like this operate firsthand to kind of see how it works, to kind of uh, really get into the shoes of the person who's doing these horrible crimes. Um, I think that's a very real desire people have. Um, um, I don't think that that is over the top or unrealistic at all. Um, and so, uh, and so the idea of the film is kind of based in that. And um, as you were saying, Josh, uh, one of the things that's kind of overlooked is that this film does take place in a world where all of these things is ha have happened. So um, Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th, at one point, Leslie um, actually aim drops Lucky. Um in one of the scenes, as he as he names as he names the guys who have kind of who have kind of inspired him, so it does this really interesting attempt to show the human side of it to kind of show the nuts and bolts of what happens and why these characters do these things with Leslie Vernon, while still trying to find a balance there with the inherently supernatural stuff that is happening um, within this universe not really in this film for a majority of it but within the world that it's set in um you know these very supernatural things that surround these crimes um it kind of gives me an excuse i think this is the first time i've talked about it on the show which is incredible because we've been doing this for three years and this is one of my favorite things to talk about in the world but um, it kind of gives the on the same energy as this idea of a tulpa, and what a tulpa is is it's this idea that something is created by and fueled by a general profound belief in it, right? It's this idea that um, things happen and weird um almost impossible phenomenon can occur because it's kind of brought about or manifested by a belief in it um and now you can get very very pseudoscientific with that you can get very spiritual with that and say that is literally what happens is we create um a host or haunting or an alien or whatever it might be simply because we believe it's real but i think there's a much more grounded and much more valuable kind of interpretation of the idea of a tulpa that argues that you know 
things may not exist because we believe in them, but the idea that something can can continue to exist, can can persist into years and years and years and become a very real part of culture and society because we choose to give attention to it and we choose to have a belief in it. So this idea that uh, these killers, these um, Jason Voorhees and Hucky and people like that in this film, I think is a not so subtle reference to and kind of a criticism to what often happens in the real world with real life serial killers is because they get this Tulpa-esque energy from people who are seeking to understand them, who are seeking to to know why they do the things they do. And so much energy is put into them that they almost become um, lifted up and kind of mythologized into something greater than they actually were. Um, clear example of this, I don't like to talk about serial killers like on air anymore as much because I don't want to add to that attention. But just as a quick example of what I'm talking about, and I think what is reflected in this film, you know, how many versions have we heard of the Ted Bundy story? And how inaccurate has the general understanding of it become to where the name is recognized by all kinds of different people the world over, and yet the facts of his story have gotten changed and have gotten reversed and perverted in various ways to where he's a, a mythology of himself. The story we know. I'm sorry? He's a sex symbol. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, facts and things like that have become so warped and so misunderstood over time that we have this idea of Ted Bundy as being this like incredibly charming, incredibly intelligent and conniving guy who who wormed his way into the hearts of his victims and things like that. When when studies and investigations and facts over time have shown um, that that's not real, that a lot of times he he tricked his victims by pretending to be hurt, by pretending to be down on his luck, that he had hardly any kind of actual inductive ability whatsoever. Um, but in our eagerness to understand why something like that can happen, why a man can slip into a sorority after evading the police and escaping from jail and kill three people in one night, in our un in our eagerness to understand how something like that happens, we want to feed into it more to make it something that's actually less real than the truth. And I think you see this kind of idea in Behind the Mask. And I think that's what a lot of it is, is, is getting at. Um, you know, the idea that's set directly in front of you is that Leslie did all this because he wanted to kill Taylor because he saw Taylor as his final girl. And I think that's one of the explanations, but I think a much more relevant explanation for why he did that is because he wants to be seen as something greater than what he is. 
That's why he makes up his backstory. That's why he agrees for a film crew to follow him around. And that's why he agrees for his story to be shared and told. Because he wants to be something greater than what he is. He wants that story of being, you know, the curse that comes back to Haddonfield every Halloween. He wants to be this hulking zombie maniac who climbs his way out of the lake and and kills people who are having sex and neglecting the children. Um, And Taylor and her crew is there because in a big way, they want to believe that too. Because this impossible mythologized idea of what a killer is is easier to consume and digest than the very real fact that there are people out there who are like Leslie Vernon, who can flip a switch and go from terrifying and rage-filled and homicidal to being very charming and to being very kind and gentle with you on just the turning of a dime. Um, That is much more terrifying. And I think where the fear comes out in this film are those scenes with him where he shows glimpses of who he really is, right? He He's cracking jokes. He's he's trying to become friends with the film crew. He's trying to form a bond with Taylor. And then when he realizes his story is starting to fade, when he realizes the layers are starting to be stripped away, which again is something we see so often with real-life serial killers, he snaps and he becomes very violent. And he grabs Taylor by the throat and he gives a death glare to the cameramen who are interrupting his monologue. And he does all of these things. And that, I think, is where the fear comes from. Because within this world of myths and supernatural killers and a curse that comes every Halloween and things like that, um, the much more scary idea within it is that... um, is that we know individuals who are just like him. Um, And I think that the film does really underrate a job of being able to show and portray that. Um, I don't know if you agree or disagree, Josh, but that's a big thing I kind of got from listening to the I mean, I agree with you. I mean, I I, I definitely agree with you. The only issue is that at the end of the movie, he rises up. Mm, Sure, yeah. So, like, you know, because, like, there is a... which I mean, I don't know... I mean, at that point, I don't know. The commentary kind of goes out of the window, right? Because it becomes, it becomes the silly slasher at that point. You know, you've got Robert England saying he was only a man, and of course, the movie ends with telling you he's not, and that you know, presumably, this will carry on. Right. So, like, it's um, I mean, I, no, I don't disagree with anything you're saying at all. Uh, no, I think I think you're spot on in all of, in, in everything. Uh, but but like I said, it does seem like, and I think that is kind of. I don't know, because because I don't know how to do the movie any better, so I don't really want to criticize it too much. But I do think that is kind of a flaw in the movie because you know it does have this kind of poignant end, uh, so to speak, as poignant as a slasher can be, and then you know it's just kind of that's kind of thrown out the window because you know he's he's going to be back, you know, and so he's going to become the next slasher, and then once again, like he's he's achieved, you know what. You know, like he's he's moved beyond, uh, you know what uh, the the normal the hack serial killers as as Eugene puts it. You know, he's he's become 
that Jason, that Mike Myers, you know, the, or Michael Myers, uh, or Mike Myers, I guess, I guess if you want to do that too. Uh, but he, he's become, he's become that person. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Cause like, I, I, I see where you come from where like, that's definitely a point they're trying to make, but it's just, it's just kind of one that they kind of don't really fill out as much because they have to end it the way they have to end it. Right. And I think that's where uh, the tension there and kind of the disappointment there as well kind of comes from that ending is because we see um, as a credits scroll, we see him in, in, um, in the, um, oh my gosh, what's that called? I can't remember the word. Yes, the morgue. Thank you. Um, uh, We see him in the morgue. He's on the slab and then gradually he, he rises up. And so we see that. And I think that just kind of comes from the tension of just like, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to say something. I'm trying to make an observation. But at the end of the day, you know, a lot of this film is founded on the idea that we know the beats that a slasher film follows. And like, we are trying to be honest about them and trying to play it high the book, even if we have with it as we do it so we see that kind of tension there of being like you know this is what we're trying to say but also you know it's kind of undermined by this obligation we have um so um yeah i agree it's a weird kind of tension and disagreement there that happens at the end um and as you said i don't really know how to fix that um or anything like that but um but yeah it's interesting um now, uh, before we get to Taylor, though, I do want to talk real quick, uh, just because you brought him up first. Um, you said that Eugene is arguably the most interesting character in the film. Um, I agree up to a certain point. I think the only other person who's more interesting than Eugene is probably his wife. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I agree. Um, but um, yeah, if you want to just kind of expound upon that um, and what you think Eugene's character kind of brings to the story and what you think he kind of, the role he kind of plays in kind of facilitating these ideas um, and themes, that would be really interesting. <laughs> Yeah, so the interesting thing about Eugene is, uh, well, first and foremost, I found this on um, IMDb's trivia, and take it with a grain of salt, but supposedly he's Billy from Black Christmas. That's that's what they're going for, Uh, which is is weird, you know, I think think it's an interesting uh, interesting choice, um, Mm -hmm. because... The thing about Eugene, of course, like, so before I say anything, here's, here's, here's what I will say. Okay. As I'm watching this movie, in my opinion, the better movie that could have come out of this Mm -hmm. is behind the mask, the tale of Eugene, um, Mm. cause we don't know hardly anything about this character other than he's a former serial killer former slasher uh like his introduction is that he's still hanging out in a uh sensory deprivation chamber and like he's not doing the wuss bag thing that ben affleck's daredevil does he like puts it in the ground right. <laughs> uh, and like hangs out there you know like i mean like, it, it is there for like you know he wakes up like is it tuesday like no it's thursday why is he down here so long and he's just like 
You know, and like, and what's amazing is like, Taylor asks why he does that, and he says, well, you know, it's so he can regulate his bodily functions. But that's not an answer, really. Right. Why he does it. So, like, so once again, like, all these things happen that, like, I'm just like, you know, like, Taylor's Taylor's journalistic cred goes out the window in all those scenes because, you know, <laughs> it's a slasher who is married to this lovely woman. They have this lovely life. Uh, they're extremely nice. You know, they're mentors uh, to, to Leslie. Uh, they kind of see Leslie as, uh, and, and there's a sense of almost like, you know, they're a, uh, they were a saving figure in Leslie's life, you know, mm-hmm. uh, all these things. And like, you know, nothing about them because, you know, like every, like everything about them is like, just kind of in this, you know, in this, this past that Taylor for whatever reason really want to talk about. Cause all, we, all the time he brings up is like, we'll see it was different in the sixties. You know, you had hacks who did one, you know, one thing and then just kind of stopped, you know, and there was no, uh, there was no art to it, you know, and like it that adds to the Black Christmas thing because I mean the Black Christmas thing one of one of the things it's known for is like this weird, it's an art film, you know, at its heart is what Black Christmas is before it's anything, um, and like and so it, it just like stuff like that like they don't they don't go into, and then also like then before Leslie's heading off, <clears throat> you know, like the last time he sees him, it's kind of implied. That Jamie was a final girl, right? I mean, that's that's what you get from that, right? It's yes, it's definitely implied that <laughs> that she was a final girl. It's world, like you know, so like, so there's a I, I don't know, man. Like there's there's so much there that is just not mind that I was just really really interested in them because like it's a it's such a I don't know it it's it it I mean the the reason the reason it should have been that movie is because that movie hasn't been made. That movie of like, what does serial killer do if he gets away from everything and then he like just stops? Like, like what? I mean, like mm-hmm. that movie has not been made, and like it's right there in this one, and they just kind of let it go by, you know. And like, and so like, there's just like to me, like there's just like this sense of all these stories that he could tell or whatever. And I don't know. I I wanted to know more about Eugene. I wanted to know more about Jamie. I thought they were the most interesting characters. Possibly because they're just not explained at all. They just show up, they give ideas, you know, they explain the Ahab, um, you know, they explain like, you know, like, I mean, just like there, there's that, there's that scene of like, you know, well, I was going to kill one of her friends and they're like, they're like, no, don't do that. That's, that's too close. Like that'll, that, that'll, 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 that'll that's too intense early on. So like, kill the librarian instead, you know, like. Like just like stuff like that is like what what how do you know this trope and like did you invent that trope are you I mean because like, <laughs> you're significantly older than Jason and Freddie and uh, and Michael Myers so like you know like where where did that come from you know like like do you have like a meeting group that you go to you know <laughs> like I, I just had so many questions I did I had I had a lot of questions about those two yeah no no I agree it's. Yeah, they're very intriguing characters, you know. There's, um, um, of course, there's an argument to be made that, you know, it's intentional that we don't know a whole lot about who Eugene is because that's kind of, you know, that's kind of the symbol that he serves as. That's kind of the whole idea of him being, you know, even as he says, you know, back in the day, you just, you get in, you 
Uh, you rack up as as high a kill count as as you can, and then you leave and you you don't ever go back and you like um you move on to the next thing. Um, and so that was kind of his perspective. That's the era that he represents. And so there's the argument that's often made for his character is that um, you know it's essential to his character that you don't know a whole lot about him. Because if you did learn a whole lot about him, then it kind of defeats the purpose of the era that he's a symbol of. And so you have that argument out there. Um, it's not the most satisfying one because, you know, the human mind wants to know, you know, the, <laughs> the human mind wants to understand these really intriguing characters that you have before you. Um, there's an interesting interpretation of Eugene um, and by extension his wife, Jamie, as well, that, um, you know, it takes almost kind of a throwaway line he has towards the end of the film where he talks about how, you know, you know, uh, you were really fast and I had to chase you and stuff like that. Eventually you caught me and the heavy implication that, you know, this is, um, this is a case of Stockholm syndrome to the absolute extreme, right? (laughs) To the nth degree. And I've heard the interpretation of it and the theory of it that's talking about um, the shift in focus about the victims of horror films that um, the story is trying to show, where the era that Eugene is coming from, on the background and the stories that he was a part of, um, show that the female victims are very much um, um, these characters who basically were fridged. They were there for the sole purpose of being slaughtered and manipulated. And we see that Eugene's relationship with Jamie is that kind of relationship between victim and killer kind of lived out to its to its absolute kind of ideation, right? It's it shows that like no, that like this weird intimacy that exists between them can can grow into something so extreme that they actually fall in love with each other. They're actually able to share a life with each other and perpetuate further crimes and victimhood and things like that. Whereas the relationship that Leslie is trying to to build and establish with Taylor, ultimately, is one that he goes into and he describes as, you know, um, the what would make me the happiest man in the world is if she tries to kill me in return. Um, and it shows that, like, it's a pursuit and a view of that a relationship and dynamic that instead elevates the victim to a position of power who kind of takes over and grows strong and survives and things like that um, and rises against. And so uh, that's just the interpretation I've heard that's being implied there. Um, um, in addition to, you know, um, the way things were done in Eugene's era versus Leslie's era. Um, in addition to that, also just like how the victims were seen and perceived as um, in those two eras um, I've seen. Um, um, you know, I don't know how well that holds up with uh, the idea that Eugene is only from Black Christmas. Um, well, I've got a. Black Christmas is just weird, man. 
I don't care for Black Christmas. I just, <laughs> I don't care for it. I think it casts this character in kind of a weird light. Now it'd almost be um, a lot more understandable if Eugene had been like one of the guys from like a Bay of Blood or something like that. Like just, just you know, random high hill count that happened. But um, I mean, yeah, I don't know. But as you were saying. Well, I mean, I you me this is this is I, I like Black Christmas, but I don't once again I don't think Black Christmas is a horror movie. I think it's a I think it's a social commentary on men versus men hunting women. Sure. Because everything that happens in that movie is because men won't listen to women and men don't respect women and men don't trust women and, and there's a reason that movie comes out in seventy four one year after Roe v. Wade, you know, and so like mm. so there's there's a there's a lot going on there. Um I would actually say casting this guy as Billy means you didn't understand Black Christmas to begin with, but that's perfectly fine. But I do think one of the things that's happening in this movie um, with Eugene's character is that the main thing that separates Eugene from Leslie and Eugene from Mike Myers, Eugene from Jason, Eugene from Freddie, that I kind of understand and once again, I what or that that I'm I'm grasping at least maybe I'm grasping at straws here, but and one of the reasons why I kind of wanted him to be explored more is because he doesn't die, he's never caught and he's never killed, right. which seems to be like Leslie's Leslie's thing um, is that you know the the death and the sacrifice it's kind of like an inverted Christ metaphor, right? You know, the death of the sacrifice here elevates him to another level to where he can be this evil figure, you know, like like Myers, like Freddie and all those guys. Eugene doesn't have that. And and because they, and, and that's probably why they picked Black Christmas is because in Black Christmas, you don't know who the killer is. You don't know right. what's happy. You don't know who I mean, you just don't know anything. Uh, the idea that Eugene got away. And so like it make and so like if you're if you're running on that concept, it makes everything about him. In my opinion, you know, and maybe once again, maybe I'm just taking this minor character and elevating him uh, to a level that they did not attend at all. But if if that's the if that's the intention, it makes everything he says have a little more gusto to it because he's the one that explains the Ahab to you. Well, mm -hmm. did he have an Ahab then? Did he kill his Ahab? Did he pull that off? You know, like mm -hmm. <clears throat> like all this, everything he has, he has all these he he has all these moments in his life that are very similar to what Lily's about to have. Except he's either a not willing to sacrifice himself to be this, you know, to be this elevated person, or b he didn't know that was a thing that could happen, or c he's just too good at what he does and it couldn't happen to him, you know. And all those possibilities are never explored because Taylor's a bad journalist, and so like we just, you know, <laughs> so like you know we just kind of leave it there. But I, I, that's what I found it when, when I was thinking about this movie after I watched it. That to me was what I found interesting is like he's taken a because of his era, you know, his era of of you know serial killers and stuff. The idea of like a sequel to a slasher movie, I mean, that doesn't really happen until the eighties, right? Al, I mean, like there's like, sure, you know, there yeah. wasn't a sequel. I mean, there was a sequel to Psycho, but there wasn't a sequel to Psycho. You know what I mean? Right. right. Uh, so like. You know, that's a whole different thing. This idea of like perpetuating the exact same circumstances over and over and over again as this kind of like cosmic challenge. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, that's to me that I found that very interesting and I was frustrated they didn't explore it. No, sure, sure. Um, and you weren't alone in that. I mean, one of the main conversations and debates that come up uh, whenever this film is talked about is um, is Eugene and <laughs> what his character um, uh, really means and how it's to be interpreted and things like that. So you aren't alone at all in your desire to know a little bit more about Eugene. Um, yeah, um, I don't know, man. I might have to rewatch uh, At Christmas. I watched it a few years back and I didn't enjoy it, but I might have to watch that one alone. That's one it's that's kind of like I mean that's one like <laughs> that's one that's kind of hard to watch with your wife. Like it's <laughs> yeah, because it, I mean it's just it, it's not enjoyable because once again it's 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 a this is what what I'm talking about. You know, it's it, it's an art house film. It's it's literally a movie that's 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 trying to do what like Bonnie and Clyde is doing. It's not trying to be a slasher movie because like you know the point. I mean, like I mean, out of you know, just from the very get go, you know, like one of the things that I can't the directors it's uh I, it's leave it's left me, but like one of the main things he his number one thing like at the top of his script was all the women will be fully clothed through the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so like, there's a, I mean, that's a, that right there is a separation mm-hmm. from what of course is even happening in Leslie Vernon. Sure. And so like, it's so, so like when they said he was Billy, I was like, well, yeah. Okay, fine. You know, you could pick that because like, that's the greatest mystery and horror movie history, I guess. Um, but like, it doesn't really work because it's just like because like that's not really the point there. The point of that movie was, you know, the oppressive forces of the patriarchy. You know, I mean, I, I, I mean, look, I, I'm just saying that movie. That movie came out in 1974. You know, and like and like the fact that I just use the word patriarchy, certain people are going to listen to this and be like, you know, uh, just be like, well, jo- Josh is just woke, and I'm like, this is a seven. This movie came out in 1974. <laughs> this movie came out the last year of the Nixon presidency. Yeah. You know, so like, sure. uh, so I, yeah, I, I think, yeah, but yeah, we get off track, but but I, I do think like, you know, the the idea of having a movie where you interview one of these guys who got away. I think that would have been interesting. And for sure. Yeah. I just think, I just think, yo, yo, Taylor, she's a, she's a bad journalist. So I don't ever get ready to talk about her. I think he's really, really bad at <laughs> this movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, Hey, as good a segue as any right there. Uh, we'll talk about Taylor. <laughs> we'll talk about Taylor, but, um, I'm not, no, it's okay. And everybody, I know like we've gotten off track a couple of times with like the slasher stuff, but like, you know, we only do one slasher a year, as far as I can recall. Arguably, we did two that one year, but um, I don't know. Honestly, I don't consider her next to really be um, a slasher film. But um, so I'm not sure that counts. But like, we only do one slasher a year, and there's so much stuff to talk about with slasher films. Like, I mean, as far as, like, history of horror goes, like, I could, like, write, like, three books just on, like, random thoughts I have about the slashers of genre. So, you know, we ask for some grace there, uh, but we also remind you, you, um, you know, it could be way worse. We could do five slashers a year. So, <laughs> <There you go. laughs> um, 
But all that being said, though, um, we will kind of wrap things up by talking, of course, about the Survivor Girl, um, who is Taylor. Um, now, uh, Josh, you know me. You've heard me talk about slashers a lot of times before, uh, both on the show and off. Everybody at home, you have listened to me, you know, openly pine over the the beauty of Amy Lee Curtis um, and just like on the power within her and the Halloween franchise. And so, like, you know, we've talked about how much um, I'm going to say we how much we like final girls. We've talked about how important the idea of a final girl is to the horror genre as a whole. We've talked about how the idea of a final girl has evolved and adapted over the years into something really, really interesting, I think, over the last few years, especially with kind of the resurgence of, like, decades afterwards, follow-ups and sequels to classic horror films to kind of, like, show what a, a final girl eventually becomes and the different perspectives on that. Um, final girls to me are a essential piece of the horror genre of slasher kind of study and mythology. Um, I'll start off this discussion by just saying that Taylor is not my favorite. Taylor is not my favorite final girl. (laughs) Um, I like some of the things she does. I like the context in which I learn about Taylor because I think this whole, I mean, I've already talked about this whole idea be, uh, behind this film is really interesting and really cool to me. I like that. Um, the big thing for me, Josh, I know you said, you know, she's a bad journalist, which she is. Um, but the thing to me that strikes me the most with Taylor is that Taylor gets into everything a little bit too fast for me. Um, and I know that the implication there is that, you know, um, it, sh- it goes to show how how charming and and um, how how sneaky and manipulative um, Esley is that he's able to get her on his side so fast. Uh, and I know that that's the implication there, but I mean, within just a few minutes of the film, I mean, you have this girl actively taking part in terrorizing a teenager. You have her openly s- celebrating the slaughter of <laughs> this poor old woman at the library who just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. She ran out of poltergeist that he could investigate. Um, and you see her just actively, not just enjoying and celebrating the fact that, you know, woo, this guy's going to kill a whole bunch of people, but even going to the point that she's actively partaking in, in terrorizing these kids and like these girls that um, as far as she knows, is the object of of obsession for this grown man who's just kind of obsessed with fear and death and 
killing kids, um, apparently. So for me, the big thing for me with Taylor is that I wish her descent into all that took a little bit longer than what we got. Um, I know that there's like statements being made there about like, oh, isn't it everybody's natural like tendency to 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 find purpose within the macabre? Um, no, I don't think it is, um, especially that fast <laughs> as we see Taylor do. But um, but yeah, that was a big stickler point for me. How about how about for you, Josh? How do you f- feel overall about our girl t- Taylor? Well, it either so here's the thing. With Taylor, with the character, and really with the movie as a whole, the question you have to ask yourself is, how smart is this movie actually? Um, Because, you're right, she does jump into everything too fast, okay? But, she's the audience, right? I mean, that's kind of her point. I mean, she's literally pointing a camera at these things. Mm -hmm. And so, like, once again, if this is a meta-commentary... That's what she's doing, you know? I mean, like, Al, we've done, at this point, like, we've done slashers every single year. They continue, you're, you you talk about wanting to bring them back, and I, I don't know why they don't, because they always make money. They mm-hmm. always, they're always a highly successful franchise. Um, I mean, we're on Scream 6. I mean, we're about to do 7, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, we're at the point, we've had three generations of Scream kids at this point. Um, so, like, you know, I mean, this is, this is not... To me, like, yeah, it's weird, but, like, it's also kind of say, like, hey, isn't it weird that you you have this thing where, like, you want to watch all these people get massacred? Mm-hmm. And, like, her entire, like, so, like, you know, the funny, like, the best part about it is, is, like, if you follow her, if you follow her, like, her descent into madness, so to speak, you know, she has kind of the the arc of the of the viewer right where it's like well first you're watching this you're trying to figure out like oh, what's going on here you know and you know and you are an active participant because you're you're watching these things happen you're like okay what's going on here and then like to me the the one that always that i laugh out loud at is when she's like we've got an ahab what's an ahab you know <laughs> and like you know but like that hits right the perfect time where you know in normal slasher movies or normal you know horror movies with a with a good figure you know it's, it's that's it that's typically it's like okay you know now we've got our now we've got the guy who's going to come in and explain the story to us so we get a little more excited about that you know then we then then by the end of the movie if if the movie has done its if if the movie has done everything correctly we get to a point where there's a character we don't want to see die. And so we move from, from, from rooting for the serial killer or the slasher and rooting for that character. I think the best example that we already talked about is scream. I think Sydney Prescott is just mm-hmm. fantastic as a final sure. girl. Sure. Uh, obviously you love Jamie Lee Curtis. Who's been a final girl in uh, several Halloween movies, prom night, you know, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. she's kind of the ultimate final girl. Um, so, like, if you if you have a character like that, then you start to root for that character, and that's where your focus shifts, which, even though, like I said, I think this movie has its flaws, might be the brilliant part of this movie, if you think this is a smart movie. If you don't think this movie's smart, everything I've just said is just stupid and coming out of my own rear. But, like, if you think this is a smart movie, then, like, the moment where he's like, hey, we're not going to document this anymore, we're going to be part of it, is the part where 
the audience itself decides they're going to root for the final girl and mm-hmm. hope the final girl gets away. Uh, you know, and so like that to me is what they're trying to do. I think here's the problem though, is that I just don't like Taylor out. Like, <laughs> like the issue is like, because like, you know, it's, it's, it's like, so, so you're pro-life Leslie. Well, you know, that might, that might be a good or bad thing, but Hey, three days ago, she, he killed a librarian, you know, just like randomly, you know, like we're really concerned about his political views at this point. You know, and so in your pro-life and chauvinistic, yeah, also a serial killer, Taylor. Like what? Like what a weird, like such a like such a weird time to make a stance. And like, and that's where my theory falls apart because that makes no sense in the context of the rest of the movie. I don't know. I don't know where she's, like, where her head's at on most of the most of this movie is just weird to me because mm-hmm. like she goes from being really excited about everything. Uh, to being really reticent uh, to me, to me, the, the, I always had the inverse effect is like, you were like, you got excited about things too early. And I'm like, you know, like once again, like that doesn't bother me as much because once again, we're playing in the world that, that we're given. So like the world we're given is like, this is the first time we, we've got a behind the scenes of this, of these, of this serial killer. So like, yeah. So, you know, so yeah, she's, she's playing in that. She's got to do, you know, what she needs to do to get that done. She gets excited about things. You know, the story goes along to me. The thing was, is the one any she does just out of nowhere where it's like, Oh, Leslie, you're just disgusting. You know, like, and it's like, what in the world? Like what a weird. And then like, she has like this moment where like, like they're like, cause, and, and, and th- this is what I'm talking about where I don't know if it's a smart movie or not. Cause I don't, I, I, I cannot figure out for the life of me what they were going for in the scene. But there's this moment where, Leslie starts to cry because he's so happy because like, he's finally going to have, you know, what he feels his life's work has been. And like Taylor doesn't know how to approach it. And like finally takes his hand. And I'm just sitting there like, what is, what is, what is going, what is the C like, what is going on here? Like this, this is weird. Even for this movie. Like, can you explain that scene to me, Al? I mean, do you have an explanation for that scene? I think uh, with that scene, I think the implication is, um, it's just that you know, I don't, I don't know if it has like a higher like meaning it's trying to give or like a symbolism it's trying to offer um, or anything like that. I think it's just, I think it's just an attempt to try to show like um, a growing sense of intimacy between the two of them um, as a lead up to the twist that happens that like she's really the t- t- target final girl and things like that um i really think that's all that is um um i apologize i don't have like a i'm a whole hot out um, well, idea of what like the interpretation is i really think that's all it is it's just, yeah this is what i do i i, yeah. I overthink things i realize that but, <laughs> but at the same time like it just i don't know it just feel, it felt out of place because like the movie totally is in a weird place by the end of it but and like you know, and once again, like, I, as I've said already, I don't know how to change that. But at, by the end of this movie, it's a, the tone, the tone is weird because it's not, it's no longer, the stakes really amp up, you know, and like they become very, very serious very, very quickly uh, to the point where, and maybe, and maybe that's the point of it is like to the point where it's like, it's not even really a slasher film. It's like, you know, it's like a, 
I don't know. It, it, it's a, it's almost a morality play uh, between, between two people. And like, which I mean, I guess is, I guess you could make the statement. That's what all these are, but it, I don't, it just, it just, it was a weird, it's just such a weird segue. And like when he, when he's like, like I said, there, there's, and, and with that, there's this, there's this great moment where he's talking to her and like explaining when he's trying to get her to go, like explaining why he has to do it, <clears throat> which I thought is one of the best scenes of the movie. And then I was like, well, you know, like the logical thing, um, the logical thing I would take from it. And I don't know why she was surprised, but is that when I go back in, <clears throat> I'm going to be a target as well. Um, and like, so then we have like this weird, like moment where they're trying to figure out like what he's doing. And like the only, I, I, I will say this one, one thing I will give this movie is it's one of the very few movies where the fat guy knows what's going on. Mm. Cause Todd is the only one. It's like, um, he, he's already told us. So why would he do that again? <coughs> Todd, who, excuse me, Todd, who up to this point has not been like, a great person in this movie, but yeah, <laughs> no, no. I mean, well, none of them are. I mean, really, but I don't know. I just, I, I just didn't like the character that much. I just thought, you know, I just thought she was very, uh, I don't know, very shallow and kind of like, well, there's just not a whole lot there to grab onto. Yeah. And, um, having watched it this time, um, an issue I have with it uh, that has come up this time that that I didn't really think about as much in past times I watched it. Um, I like to think that's a, something about me and my personal growth and how I've read more like feminist theory and literature um, and stuff. Um, I could be completely wrong. Um, I'm probably just an asshole still. But um, something that um, stuck out to me this time about it that I had a problem with is that for a a film that in all other capacities seems to have a really good grip on what the slasher genre is and what over time it has kind of turned into um it takes a really hard like left turn as far as handling its final girl as a feminist icon. Um, I've talked about it a bit on the show before in years past. You know, I think um, horror in general, but like especially slashers, um, with a few exceptions, obviously. Uh, but overall, I think it's inherently a very feminist, um, or at least feminine and powering genre um it gets a very female centric kind of method of storytelling because again you always have final girls who who step up who who find inner strength and who resist against the i mean you know inherently destructive masculine force within the story um and i think that that is a theme and a factor of slasher films that have that has stayed pretty consistent over the years if not has has grown and expanded even more um in recent years 
Um, and so for a film to seemingly understand every other capacity of its genre and the genre that is kind of studying and deconstructing, it's weird to me that it seems to miss the mark so hugely in terms of what makes a good final girl. Because the main idea behind what makes a good final girl is this idea of of being able to resist, of being able to resist and overcome that destructive force that is coming from the antagonist. It's coming from the slasher. Um, and we don't really see Taylor resist very much. We see her very quickly kind of absorb into the web that Leslie is trying to weave. And sure, there's the interpretation that, you know, she's fulfilling the role of the audience at that point in the film, which, sure, that fits and that works, but it kind of makes her role kind of weird to see on rewatches. Um, and even to the point where she makes a decision, you know, on the camera style changes, and she makes a decision that she's going to resist, she's going to help these kids, she's going to save them. Um, even then, you know, um, as you said, it's Todd who realizes, hey, we're playing into his hands. We're like... He's given us a complete story of what he's trying to do, and we're playing directly into it. So it isn't even her who realizes, hey, I need to undermine, I need to resist in a more deviant way to throw a wrench in his plans. Because up to the very end, she plays things completely by his book. And so we see in a lot of ways that Leslie got what he desired in two different ways, you know, he desired to like find his destruction, um, essentially. He desired to, to go out in kind of a blaze of glory after his story has been experienced and built up and things like that. But he also desired this, this power based, very manipulative relationship with his final girl. And it goes even to the point that Taylor even wounds and kills him in the way that he kind of plants the seeds of in her mind. And so to me, this new kind of frustrating thing I had with it in terms of Taylor is that it never really feels like she's a final girl. Because even when she resists, she resists in a way that was predetermined and manipulated by the, by the person she's supposed to be resisting. And that, to me, was kind of a frustrating thing that kind of struck me on um, on this time of rewatching it uh, that wasn't really there in the past. I don't know if you have anything uh, to kind of add on to or respond on in that note. No, I agree totally. I mean, I think that's the that's where the metaphor falls apart. You know, I mean, that's where um, I think that's kind of where the movie falls apart in a lot of ways. You know, because like I'm just sitting there like. He's already told you not to go into that forest, you know, or that, you know, garden or whatever it is, that orchard or whatever, you know, that foggy place. He's already said, don't go in there, you know, and you just, he's already told you how bad, you know, like, you know, what the, that the axe is going to break on you. Um, which I thought was dumb anyway, because like an axe handle is almost as dangerous as an axe itself, but whatever. Sure. <laughs> you know, but like, it's sure. A, it's actually easier to kill a person with like the blunt force trauma than it is like right, other exactly. ways. 
but uh but but you know just like i don't know i, I you know i agree with you i think uh i think it does because it has to end the way it has to end um it, 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 I mean, she has to be that way, you know, even to the point where, like, she doesn't find out she's the final girl until there's four of them left. Um, <laughs> but, like, you know, it's just, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a difficult, so, sometimes there's just, there's, I, it's, it's hard for me to turn off a logic search in my brain, Al, and, like, I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm super intelligent or anything like that, but it's just, like, when things are happening in the movie where I'm like, man, he just literally told you exactly, you know, what the play was here. And what he was going to do, uh, you know, I mean, I, to the point where it's like, like, what about one of the best parts is like when they open up the van and those two people were in there, you know, that he's killed. I'm just like, well, yeah, I don't know why you're shocked. You know, like three hours ago, he was like, well, yeah, the, the big thing is I just place bodies in different places to shock them. So they, you know, they, it throws them off and boy, does it ever, yeah. you know, so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, like I said, I, I like the movie. I like a lot of what the movie is trying to do. Uh, like I said, I think a lot of it does come down to how smart do you think this movie is, or do you think there is a purpose, uh, beyond this movie or whatever? Uh, you know, but I just, you know, I, I don't know. I just, there's, there's just things, you know, if, if, if you don't have a good protagonist, you don't have a good person to, to follow in a movie. It's, I mean, that's a major issue with like all the, I'm glad we haven't done one. So major issue of all the Saw movies, it's like, man, I just like, you know, sure, kill them all. I don't care. You know, it's like it's like, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, I, you know, because like when you get to a point that it, that is my issue with with that entire genre, is that when you get to a point where you literally are just watching a movie just to see people get torn to pieces. Well, okay, fine. You know, like I'm I, no judgment here, but at the same, but at a certain point, like there's only so much from an artistic standpoint, you can get from that, you know? And like, if, if I don't have somebody that I can follow and like grasp onto as someone that I can say, okay, well, I'm going to root for this person. Uh, it's very hard for me to get into a movie. You know, it's very hard for me to do that. That's and they didn't really, you know, they didn't really do a, a good job of making her somebody that I could follow. <clears throat> uh, but, uh, suggestion though, better suggestion. Uh, they replace Taylor and her actress with Zelda Rubenstein and have her be the one following around. Would have loved the movie way better. Uh, I think that would have been much better. Man, man, that would have been great. I'd lo- I love that idea. Yeah. Um, the option I was about to offer up is, you know, I think it would have, like, it would have been great if towards the end of the film it really just kind of casts off the shackles of the genre that it was trying to study. And, like, it ends with like total subversion of the rules that Leslie has kind of established so far. And it just kind of ends with like Taylor, like she, she breaks through, um, she breaks through a window on the first floor and, and climbs out. And then she kills him with a gun. Yeah, I think that I think that'd be great. <laughs> I the whole that, time I was sitting there thinking, wouldn't it be hilarious if there was like a, a gun in the van and she just yeah. walked and shot him? Would it be like, awesome? I mean, like that would have been, yeah, that would have been yeah. great. Yeah, he even um, even in his whole like um, psychosexual speech he gives about like the themes of of slasher films. You know, he even talks about like you know all of these final girls who. Hot off on their killers. You think any of them used a gun? 
And so I thought that in a lot of ways kind of felt like to me just kind of a Chekhov's gun type of situation where it's just kind of like, oh, he said it. I'm kind of expecting her to do it now. <laughs> like, but I don't know. Apparently I'm apparently I'm wrong. Apparently I'm off base. But yeah. um because uh, that's not how it happened. But um no man, as we um uh, as we close on this though, I have just one more quick thing I want to get on kind of your take on. Is that um so uh, behind the mask is pretty well received it's very like it's often very praised by like media outlets whenever it came out um it's developed very much um kind of a cult following online um r slash horror um is a place that uh, kind of varies in quality but um who boy do they love to talk about behind the mask um, um, so it has a, a pretty strong following as long as, as far as like these indie horror films and indie slasher films go. Um, um, Josh, I'm going to hit you with this as we close, um, trying to find a, a confirmed solid lead on possible sequels for this film has proven to be a gargantuan task. <laughs> so there is so there are rumors where um there's a film in the works that's like that acts as like a full-on sequel to it that um <clears throat> follows it up and is kind of an homage to like um the more like saw hostile kind of subgenre of horror we saw kind of rise up in the early and mid-2000s. There are rumors of, like, a prequel film that's in the works that has been going on for, like, years, talking about uh, what Hesley was up to before he moved to Glen Echo. There is rumors, apparently, that there was a short film made that is kind of like a, a Halloween 2018-esque kind of sequel. Um that was submitted to be shown at film festivals this year and it like hasn't shown up anywhere and we're in October. Like um, it's kind of hard to get a real read on if projects are actually happening, if a project is just being talked about, if the property has just kind of been like dropped in general. Um, so all that being said, Josh, without any real indication of what is going on with um, the future of this character, um, I would like to ask you and get your take on it. Uh, do you think there's anywhere to go um, after this film? Do you think anything else can really be done or said with this story and um, this character? Or do you think that it's kind of served the purpose it's going to serve and anything else would just kind of be extra and futile? Uh, I mean, I think I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think I'm okay. I think it, I think it, I don't think it needs to do anything else. I mean, it's so like 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 the next movie would just be a movie, right? And I mean, I guess that's fine, but kind of the point of this movie, you know, the whole idea behind it is a deconstruction. Sure. So, like, to just then do a horror movie after that, I think it would be weird, uh, but. 
So I, yeah, I don't. I think I'm. I think I'm okay. I, I, I think I've. I think I think one Leslie Vernon movie's enough. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, it's it's one of those weird things, you know. I try, I try to be like as open minded as I can be about stuff as far as it comes to like uh, doing sequels or expanding uh, pre existing properties. Um, I try to be always down and game for or stuff, especially if it's something I enjoyed. Um, but this is one where it's just kind of like, you know, I don't, I don't know what else is going to be said. Um, if the story, if one of the stories I found is true and the intended sequel is kind of an homage and deconstruction of the more torture side of horror films that were popular in like the mid two thousands, um, I have zero interest in, in seeing that. I have zero interest in learning anything more to learn about that genre of horror. <laughs> um, it's, it's just not for me. Um, so I wouldn't really be interested in that. I'm not really sure how that would work. I'm not really sure how much would be said about it. Um, and if it's a story about like a prequel to what happened in this one, um, you know, I don't really think... Esley is the person for the prequel to be about. I'd be way more interested in what you were talking about and do a prequel about um, Eugene and how he found his way to where he is in this film. So, I don't know, it's one of those things, you know. I think I think it's a shame that a lot of this cast, you know, hasn't seen a whole lot of action after this film. Um, on their IMDb pages are kind of small. Um, Ethan Hazel who plays um, Hesley Vernon. Um, I thought he did a really fine job um, in this film. And like, you know, all he really has on his IMDb is just kind of like small roles and episodes of TV shows, which I guess isn't anything wrong with being a TV actor, but um, you know, you kind of expect a bit more from, from um, an actor who did in all regards, you know, a pretty good job. In his role, so I'm, um, you know, it's just, um, it's really interesting. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I have an interest in anything else uh, that's being told about the character. Um, I think it, I think it's way more fitting, honestly, to go with the theme of the film to just kind of be like, no, that's it. Like that's all you get. <laughs> you know, we told the story, and we are going to do, you know. Um, um, you know, behind the mask, eight Esley goes to hell. Um, we're not gonna, <laughs> we're not gonna have anything like that. Actually, I'd watch that one. Oh, would you know? Yeah, yeah. I'd watch that one. Oh yeah. All right. Well, hey, if you'd watch it, I'd watch it. I'd watch it right there with you. So there, there we go. go. So there you go, everybody out there. Um, Sc- Scott Glosserman, who wrote and directed this film, if yours. If you're for some reason <laughs> listening to this episode, then you got for sure at least at least two people who are down for it. So, so hope you enjoy it. Um, but yeah, everybody, um, I think that about covers it, man. I think that's about all we can. We didn't. Uh, we didn't, talk about we, didn't we didn't talk about Robert England at all. Who I mean, what can be said about Robert England, man? I he's mean, he's acting his rear off in this in this role that just requires maybe twenty five percent of the effort he's putting into it. He's the man. I mean, he, he's he um 
I watched this with a friend of mine um, in college um, years and years ago now. But um, I watched this with a friend of mine in college. And Robert England puts so much of himself into that role that my friend who highway was watching it with, um, John, shout out to John. I don't think you listened to the show, but in case you do, um, that like, um, after his scene where he's just, I don't know, like at the diner and he's just like, you can expect to see more of me. Um, John kind of turns to me and he's just like, wait, is that, is that actually the actor who, who played the doctor in Halloween? And I was just like, no, but like, he's nailing it. Right. Like yeah. he's, <laughs> Killing it. <laughs> yeah, he's. I mean, you know, it's funny because, like, I mean, uh, you know, everybody, everybody talks about how Robert England is like this, you know, genius level intellect and everything, and he might be. I don't know. I mean, that's fine. But like, if I could go back, if I go back in time and do anything, I'd be like, hey, do not typecast this guy as Freddy Krueger. Like, give him more roles in the '80s because, like, he's going to elevate any movie he's in. Um, because he, he's a really like, it's weird. It's weird to say the guy that plays Freddy Krueger is a really good actor, but he's a really solid actor. Like he's, he's really excellent. good at what he does Absolutely. and he throw and man, I'll tell you, he just throws, I mean, this is a movie that requires him to have literally four scenes and maybe 15 lines of dialogue. And he just, he throws everything he has into this, into this role. And uh, that's what he does with all his roles, you know? So I, I, I you know, I, it, it, it's a great tragedy that, you know, that once again, you know, we 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 have to typecast these guys who are really good at these serial killer slasher movies uh, because they could they could have definitely pulled off other stuff, you know. So I don't know. Uh, I mean, he just he just has fun with everything he does, man. And like just looking at his IMDb page, like, I mean, the man will take any job. Yeah. Like he and he'll put everything everything he has in it. I mean, he was in like he was in Lake Placid versus Anaconda. Yeah. That's a crossover I didn't know happened. Yeah. Like that's <laughs> that's crazy. You and know, he's he, there. And like and like the thing is like he <laughs> so he's talking about the fact he loves doing those kind of movies. Mm-hmm. But um I mean I'm then, just thinking like go go back in time. <clears throat> you know, Ben Kingsley is an Indian. Put Robert England in there and let him play Gandhi. See what happens. You know, I'm just saying, you know, see, see what happens. You know, I guarantee the film will not be any worse. <laughs> There's a pretty good chance it'll be better. So, you know. Um, man, uh, yeah, man. Um, and then for anybody, uh, for anybody who doesn't do a lot of horror stuff and primarily, like, hangs out with us because of our comic book stuff, um, in case you wanted to know, uh, Robert England, actor who played um, the Doctor in this film, he played Freddy Krueger in, um, I hate that I have to say a majority of the Nightmare on Elm Street films, that sucks, but um, <laughs> he played him. Um, he was the voice of the Vulture in A Spectacular Spider-Man. So there you of go, everybody. Was. Wow, what, <laughs> once again, like what a weird, but like what a weird person to cast for that. I mean, not it's not weird, but just like somebody on that role was like, man, we need somebody for the vulture. What's Robert England doing right now? <laughs> He's the man. He's the man. Can he come in and do two two episodes of Spectacular Spider-Man and just like, you know, do it and kill? You know? He did five. Yeah. 
Oh, he did five. Okay, what? Oh, excuse me. Can he you give us five episodes? Spider-Man. <laughs> My bad. Sorry. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's great. That's great. I love it. But um, <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, everybody. I think that's an. <laughs> I think that's enough tangents we've got on this episode. Yeah. But um, um, y'all, we just really enjoy two in the show. Um, it's great. But um, um, now that is it for episode two. Of Horror Fest 2023. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Um, Josh, we've got... I usually don't announce uh, these episodes ahead of time, man, but, like, I I can't resist. Josh, would you like to share with the audience um, the subject matter for episode three of this year's Horror Fest that we're doing? See, the funny thing about this, Alice, I don't know... I don't know if most people will be as excited as I am about this. I don't think anyone will. <laughs> but we're going to do, we're gonna do the 2004? I think it's 2003. 2003 Van Helsing with Hugh Jackman. Uh, just, I am, we're going to do this movie. I would actually really like, because it's one thing we really haven't explored that much going forward the year as the years go on for us to try and put a action horror movie into horror fest, because like that was a weird subgenre that happened really because of the mummy. Um, but like, I'd really like to do that going forward, but yeah, Van Helsing coming soon. Coming soon, possibly with a special guest. I don't know. We'll see. Um, yeah, man. So there you go, everybody. Um, if you previously did not have faith in our ability to run um, a horror podcast, um, you know, the first monster movie we're doing is, is Van Helsing. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, there, so, that. so there you go. We could have done Christopher Lee's uh, um, one of the the plethora of Christopher Lee's Dracula films, but no, we're doing Van Helsing. Uh, <laughs> uh, so everybody, uh, I just want to say thank you so much for hanging out with us as always. Uh, we have other stuff coming. Um, Jacob, our illustrious editor-in-chief for Fandom Correspondence, um, Jacob and I are still going to do an episode of Star Wars EU or E-Review podcast show this month. Um, it'll also be spooky, so, um, so keep your eyes and ears out for that. And, of course, as we've already said, we have um, a lot more Horror Fest to come this year. So um, please um, stay um um, stay up on your updates on your Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you get your podcasts, for sure. Um, and just a reminder that um, fandom is for everybody, and uh, whatever you might be into, we uh, we love hearing about it, love talking about it. Um, so feel free to holler at us on the socials, hop into the Discord channel, um, and tell us everything that you love about um, about horror and uh, and about Hugh Jackman. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, Thank you all very much, and everybody be safe.